Welcome to Between Lewis and Lovecraft. I'm Hannah. And I'm Tyler. We're here to learn more about the lives of authors that have inspired us. A journey into the stories they not only created, but also lived. So join us as we dive deep into the worlds that live just out of reach. Here we go. We're going to dive into a world that lives just out of reach. <laughs> Was that entirely necessary? Oh. Uh, okay, that's for the that? guy that gave me an existential crisis. Frank Herbert? Yeah. <laughs> that drink right there, that frustration is what I felt uh, reading you know, Dune. That is accurate. Yeah. I think you had just barely started it when you came to me with that existential crisis. I made it probably a third, a third of the way through it. A third of the way. And I was like, this is one of the greatest things I've ever written or I've ever read in my entire life. I will never be this good. And I'm not okay with that. And now here we are talking about it okay. on my podcast about books and authors. So has our previous episode in which we discussed, you know, the first half of his life leading up to writing Dune. Uh-huh. Did that make you feel any better about your existential crisis? A little bit. Just a little bit. Because I could see that he also kind of had an existential crisis of his own. And so that makes me happier. That somebody else, other people have done to him what he has done unto me. You like that he suffered too. The golden rule. Do that to others which has been done to you thus justifying your anger and rage i don't think that's the that's golden exactly rule. <laughs> what jesus said tie tie the bible guy <laughs> well i can't argue with you that's on that <laughs> already coming up with t-shirt ideas that's exactly what jesus said <laughs> so hannah tell me more about frank herbert well i'm glad you asked tyler the author of dune your personal hero slash nemesis is he my hero <laughs> You know, here's what I here's what I'll say about Frank Herbert. He's a lot better than some of the douchebags that have cheated on their wives. Mm, I was just thinking about that. We're gonna get to that later. Oh, are we? Yes, because I still have thought. I have a gripe. Oh, do you? Yes, I do have a gripe. All right. So well, that's what we call a tease in the news ew, business. <laughs> foreshadowy. Yes, but right now we're present shadowing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, where we left off, we were just talking about when he finally got inspired to start writing Dune. Yeah. And this was a long process. Um, so the biography that I read that I talked about last time is by his son, Brian Herbert, eldest son. Um, and so Brian says that his dad basically spent about four years researching Dune, like intense research, reading hundreds of books, studying languages. Yeah. Way more research than I think I would personally put into a book, but he was very passionate about this and then he wrote and rewrote the book the bulk of the book over the next four years so this was like an eight-year endeavor i mean this is this is (laughs) am i uh i know touching on a nerve i know what this feels like to do this yeah i mean even just the rewriting a book of that scale thing would stress me out so much and yeah i assume it stresses you out yes it absolutely does so during this time, he made up with his agent, Lurton Blazingame, which Best is like ever. 
a great name. Um, and so he agreed to shop Dune around. Originally, they had kind of like fallen out because um, Lurton was giving him a lot of feedback about the market and how a lot of his writing was too long for people mm. to want to publish. Sure. But apparently they set aside that difference and uh, Mr. Blazingame uh, got behind Dune. Originally, it was in three parts and the working title was Dune World. Um, and so the first place that really published it was a magazine called Analog, um, and they bought the serialized version of it. So again, that's where you like split a book yeah, up into parts. Up. Yeah, which was popular back then. Yeah. So um, they bought that for Analog. And while that was going on, he finished books two and three um, in 1963. Lurton said they shouldn't be separate books because he didn't feel like there was a clear divide like within it. There wasn't sure. a natural separation point. Um, publishers agreed, but they felt it was way too long at around 215,000 words. So for science yeah, fiction, I've book. always heard that science fiction should be about 100,000 words for a book. I can believe that. Um, normally, like regular fiction novels are shorter, like in the yeah. fifty to 80,000 word range. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this is a <clears throat> massive book. Uh, now... Uh, as someone who is now diving into the world of sci-fi, now that I've read Isaac Asimov and Frank Herbert, and uh, I started reading um, Dark Matter, would you say having is is a hundred thousand words the limit, or is that your goal as a writer for sci-fi? Do you know? I mean, obviously, Dune's way longer than that, so I don't sure, think there's but, a limit. But it's different. But like, I think you know, if a publisher is digging through hundreds and thousands of emails pitching books like if they see one that's 200,000 words and one that's 100,000 that might be enough for them to be right. like okay this is what, gonna do what well. I'm asking is the other direction though so like if I'm writing should I be aiming for 50,000 words which is like the minimum for a novel because most sci-fi is that or is most sci-fi 100,000 or is it somewhere in between like what what I'm just you you've read a lot more than I have like do you feel like a shorter sci-fi is better or a hundred thousand like reaching that limit every time is better for most sci-fi stories I mean at the end of the day you should write exactly how many words it takes to tell your to story because like there's great sci-fi writers yeah. like Ray Bradbury his stuff yeah. was always really short I it seems like those answers <laughs> just write until the story's told yeah <laughs> That being said, <laughs> if you write something that's 200,000 words, maybe consider cutting it down a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Just but. You don't want to turn off readers and publishers yeah. just by the sheer length of a book. Like sure. I feel like you can get away with that more when you're an established author, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you're trying to make like break into the industry, probably go for, for what yeah, the average go, go length what is. The average is. Yeah, for sure. I, it was just a random question that I had. I, it doesn't actually matter at all. You're not this. crushed that you now have to shave 100,000 words off your masterpiece? I'm not <laughs> planning on writing 100,000. I'm <laughs> hoping for like 80,000 in this story. So that's why I was, that's why me as a writer, I was hoping for 80,000 in my book. That's why I was like, wait, are people going to expect 100,000? Or is that like, hey, stop right there. Don't, don't try to go any further. And do not pass. <laughs> Wrap it up, bud. So while... He was working on books uh, two and three. Analog readers also nominated Dune World Part One for the 1963 Hugo Award for Best Novel, even though it hadn't been published as a book yet. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. It didn't win because it wasn't a book, 
but yeah. it helped the magazine um, get the Hugo for best science fiction magazine. So a little bit of accolades there. Um, the next year, they started shopping it around as a book, um, but a lot of publishers rejected it, again, partially because it was so long. And um, at this point, Frank Herbert starts losing losing hope a little bit. So at this point, he spent like eight years on this, and publishers aren't buying it. Uh, I, could, I could see him getting a little sad. Again, like from my perspective, I wish that I could get to a point where I could even present a book to a fucking <laughs> publisher to be denied. Uh, I mean, I guess I could. I could send out just, you know, like, bullshit manuscripts that I have. But I, I'm not going to do that. Like, But this isn't but his I first guess, novel yeah, either. It, and it, it gets to a point where I know, like, Tolkien dealt with this as well with Lord of the Rings, where he wrote this and was getting frustrated with the publishing process because people didn't want to pick this up. It's so long. It's so big. It's so weird and different. Nobody wants to do it. So I think it's it's a matter of, like, this is genius being like pushing through a little bit. Yeah. He, he was definitely ahead of his time to use a cliche. Um, so in January of 1965, now about two years after he finished writing it, Analog starts releasing serialized versions of parts two and three of the Dune trilogy as it was back then. A few weeks after the first installment came out, Sterling E. Lanier, another great name, Lanier, who was editor for a company called Chilton Book Company, um, reached out and he wanted to publish the trilogy as one book. So almost a dream come true, except for the fact that Chilton Book Company was best known for publishing car repair manuals. So kind of not. I dare say, <laughs> Ed, we've finished making the manuals for every single car in America. What shall we make next? Well, I have seen uh, that there are science fiction books out there. Ah, yes, we shall go from car repair to science fiction. That is exactly what they said. Verbatim. Yeah. Don't fact check us on that. I tie the Bible. <laughs> but uh, they ended up making the deal, and Herbert would often joke that they might rename his book How to Repair Your Ornithopter. Oh, Which is a okay. reference I would understand if I had if finished you had reading read Dune. <laughs> Dune. Ornithopters are the plain thingies that they fly around over the Dune planet. Perfect. Well, then it does fit nicely. It does fit. But one of the main uh, draws for Chilton was that they were used to publishing really, really huge books. So they could do three books that were like 215,000 yeah, words Yeah, 215,000 words is yeah. not a big deal. Um, And then a year later... Ace Books uh, released the book in paperback, which I didn't know that was a thing where you could have like multiple publishing companies um, for your book, like one for hardcover and one for paperback. Well, I yeah, I thought mean, it was usually the same company. Really? I mean, it's it's a it's there's yeah, I guess. I mean, there's there's different rights that you sell to people. Right. And as long as you own the copyright or whoever owns the copyright can sell, make a contract for publishing companies or you know, uh, distribution companies to do different things. And I know that was a big, big one with Stephen King where like he had sold his book and he had made a little bit of money off of it. Um, and then somebody else wanted to do the, the paperback novel, um, contract. And that's where he made basically in today's money, a million dollars off of that deal. Nice. So yeah. I, I know that, that that's it. – I don't understand I it. If I did, I'd probably go into publishing. I don't <laughs> understand it, but that I know that that is a thing. Well, uh, when Dune originally did come out, 
it didn't get a lot of reviews right away. And the ones that did get uh, hated it. What? A lot of reviewers said it was too long and too hard to understand. Good Lord, which, man. So it like, sounds like he, I wrote the review. He keeps hearing this over and over. It's too long, Dad. <laughs> It's like, shut up, write Stop something being, original. Stop it, so long. <laughs> um, but it was enjoyed by other science fiction writers like Arthur C. Clarke, um, who said that it, there was nothing comparable to it except Lord of the Rings. Boom. I won. Me and Arthur C. Clarke. He and same I page. were on the same page. Me, we're basically the same person. <laughs> basically. <laughs> so it's pretty slowly gained popularity by word of mouth mostly especially on college campuses which made uh frank herbert really happy because he wanted to think that the leaders of tomorrow were getting his message yeah. and because he put a lot of government themes in it and environmental themes and in religious it. themes yeah and, and religious yeah like 100 percent. that's who this is in the 60s the mid 60s yeah yeah 100 percent. it spoke to that generation absolutely um, and while this was all going on, um, so he had been living in California with the family. He and Bev both wanted to go back to the Northwest. Um, so they ended up selling. They had at one point two houses in California, one that was kind of like a little farmhouse. Um, they sold both of them and moved to Seattle, where he again worked as uh, in newspapers as the education editor for the Seattle Post-Intelligencer. So even when he has written what is going to become one of the defining sci-fi books of all time, he's still working at newspapers. Yeah. We've talked about this before uh, with uh, Gillian Flynn, right? Where she she wrote and came out with was Sharp Objects. Sharp Objects. She wrote while she was also working for Entertainment Weekly. I'm not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't like, know if I remember if she went. She back had after written that. a bestseller and still had to work. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. It, it you don't win the lottery when you get a book deal. No. Nope. Um, in 1969, Dune Messiah, the sequel. So. Technically, like the fourth book that he wrote, but the second to come out once they combine the first yeah. three, yeah. Um, was rejected by the publisher of An- or the editor at Analog because he didn't like the anti-heroic themes. So in that one, I, I think, and I don't think this is a spoiler because it's been out for fifty some years. Yeah. Uh, but I think Paul get- goes bad in Messiah, right? Uh, to be completely honest, I I don't know everything. I know at some point. So there's so Paul has a son, um, and then, uh, and then his son has a son, Paul the second. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm very sorry. All of our Dune listening fans, I'm <laughs> I realized what I said was wrong. Um, he has a son, and then a son starts to become like this weird kind of uh basically a messiah his son basically becomes um leto the second i believe is is his name and he he starts to become this weird thing but he's like doing it for the good of of humankind throughout the galaxy so it's that i mean i can understand it like he's doing he's telling the story where this person is doing things that they're doing it for selfish gain but selfish gain so they can do good that's ultimate good but then even then in later books it becomes like oh this ultimate good is not good so what was it even worth so yeah a a little bit of a corruption probably in there some i'm trying to remember the second this story to the second one because i i went through the whole series a couple of times uh with videos and and some uh review books and stuff like that and or articles and and I remember, I remember that. Maybe I just blanked out the 
Paul's story. <laughs> the end of Paul's story. Poor Paul. Poor Very Paul. Very forgettable. <laughs> he doesn't turn into a giant slug creature, so it's not as exciting. Oh. See, if I had known about the giant slug creatures. Yeah. If only you had known about, well, they're worm creatures. <laughs> the sandworms. Yeah. Oh. Well, his son his son basically like forms into a, a spoiler, I guess, a sand person worm guy, and he lives for like... 10,000 years or whatever. I can't remember. Wow. Well, <laughs> that plot was not enough to get it into analog. Um, but I think, I mean, obviously it did come out as a book eventually. Um, yeah. And in the meantime, the original Dune kept getting more and more popular. Uh, what I thought was interesting was that since there had been so few first editions published, People started stealing copies from libraries because they wanted the first edition. Oh, Dune. snap. That's what happened from a library. <laughs> I mean, pretty sure oh, that's in the Ten Commandments. That's now. probably worth a lot of money now. Uh, so they like stole something that's like yeah, worth thousands worth of dollars. Thousands now. of dollars. Yeah. Thou shalt not desecrate thine library. <laughs> More uh, fake commandments with Ty Ty the Bible guy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, in the early 70s, the family moved to Port Townsend, which is a lovely place where I lived and worked for one summer. You should definitely go there. Oh, okay. Um, Very cool. And it seems like the perfect place for Frank Herbert because it's like, at least now, I'm not sure how it was in the 70s, but now it's like a very kind of hippie, like liberal place. Lots oh. of people go there after like careers and then they spend their life building sailboats and gotcha. doing artsy stuff. So he got um, six acres which gave him room for farming. It was isolated. It was quiet. Uh, just the perfect place for him to write, basically. And he eventually created what he called an ecological demonstration project there. Classic. Because, again, one of his other hobbies was, like, not just making up inventions in his mind, but actually doing them. Yeah. Um, so he used solar panels to help heat the house there. He installed a windmill on top of his shop. Uh, he did some sort of thing involving, like, chicken manure from the chickens on the farm and turning the methane gas into a way to heat the coop for yeah. them so yeah he was just tinkering away mm -hmm. uh being super cool uh but fans editors and his agents were after a third dune book uh but the writing despite having this great location to write that story was not flowing well for him mm. he did some other uh novels and like short stories and stuff during that time but dune wasn't working out so in 1973, he set it aside again. Uh, he wrote another book about American Indians. Uh, Soul Catcher was the one that had been released the prior year, um, but he couldn't find a publisher for this one. Uh, the Dune movie, which had also had right spot, started to unravel when the producer died. And the Dune movie was like a crazy process, too. It was, was it? at points uh, it, an Italian company had the rights to it. What? But like... Salvador Dali was supposed to play one of the characters, and he was fighting with the um, director because they had different political views. Jeez Louise. And then I think, like, I think it was another European country had a production company that bought the rights to it, and that one fell apart again, too. Really? So it was just all over the place. Um, and then April 1974, he was about to fly to New York City um, with Beverly to meet with a publisher. And in the middle of the night, Bev couldn't stop coughing. Uh oh. So a friend, they had lots of friends, um, and this is another like Port Townsend area type thing. Lots of people have like little planes. Sure. And like those airstrips like we have out in the country. Yeah. Um, so they had a friend who flew them in the middle of the night to Seattle so she could get checked out. Um, she had a collapsed lung. Originally she tried to pass it off like it was from pneumonia, but doctors found out she had terminal lung cancer. 
Um, Beverly had known something was wrong with her for a long time, but had been scared to go to a doctor, so she didn't say anything, which is a great medical strategy. Oh, yeah. If you just ignore it, most things go away. Definitely. Like my toothache. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Um, Despite the diagnosis, she eventually went into remission, um, and Frank really doted on her after that, like... I think for most of their lives prior to that, Beverly was really the one taking care of him. Sure. After this, he had to do a lot for her. Um, he like got a swimming pool installed so she could do laps to try to build up her strength. Nice. He spent a lot of time taking care of her instead of writing, which was very stressful for him too. He would like get up super early in the morning to try to write um, before she woke up. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that was just a really tough time in their life. Um, but he managed to write that third book that everybody was waiting for children of dune yeah it was released in 1976 and at this point he'd gotten enough popularity that it was an instant bestseller oh wow um he went on his first book tour ever at age 55 um and when the paperback for that book came out it sold nearly two million copies right away so Good lord man. for like the original dune when that came out they printed like two thousand some copies in the first edition yeah now they're doing millions yeah two million copies Um, And this really ushered in an era of explosive growth for science fiction. Like other writers started doing really well. I think Asimov was one after that. Mm. So science fiction was really becoming more popular than it had been now. Sure. Um, And in 79, the Star Wars movie came out. And Frank Herbert was pissed off, guys. He allegedly counted 16 points of what he called, quote, absolute identity between his book and the movie Star Wars. What? 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 I think... They're on a desert planet at the beginning. I think there were um, some character things. Uh, I guess things. there's, there's the, the no ships are kind of the same as, now that I'm thinking about it, kind of the same as the Death Star. A little in, in design, not in functionality. Um, the Empire. There's an Emperor. But he's like uber evil. Like way different than... than way more evil? I don't... I mean, I see, I see inspiration more than absolute identity <laughs> stealing. I could see George Lucas, a young college student who loves cars, also loves sci-fi and reading those, and is highly influenced by Dune. I, no, I don't know. What are there? Is there more? Do you have like actual like points that he made? He didn't. I couldn't find a list of his points. I've found other ones, like one of them mentions like vehicles known as sand crawlers um, that are basically the exact same as ones that they yeah. use to mine the drugs in Dune, uh, the moisture farmers and dew collectors. Uh, Again, these are things, though, like if you're going to base something, if you're going to put your, your main character on a desert planet, there are going to be these things on the desert planet, though. Spice being a commodity in both universes. Spice is everywhere, though. Look at Critical Role. They have spice. Like when did Critical used... Role come out, though? Two thousand ten. Yeah. Two thousand no. It hasn't been that long. It's been two thousand fourteen, maybe. But like, but the point is, like, spice is easy to just be like, oh, what's this drug called? Spice. <laughs> is that easy? It's so easy. You if you put it anywhere, people will be like, oh, that totally makes sense. McClary, what's the new drug on the streets called? Uh, it's called Spice, Chief. Perfect. 
Like it, it just fits. Like it's just, it's just a name. Well, could that be because now there is an actual drug called Spice? That makes sense. <laughs> and besides, this—that's a nickname for the Spice. The Spice name is Melange. Like, so if they're gonna, if if there's Melange in in Star Wars, then I'd be like, oh hell no! Nah, so dude. you want his points to be literal plagiarism, not just calling the Force versus the Voice or Princess Leah versus Princess Aaliyah. Okay. <laughs> mm, those all right. I'll give those uh the voice, the force. The the voice, the force is bigger than the voice though. The voice does one specific thing of like of like, "Hey, do what I want you to." The force the before you see the force in action, you know that it does more, and then one of the aspects of the force is to kind of be like these are not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> and like that's, and it's not even the same. It's not even done in the same way. It's like a persuasion. It's totally different. It's different. And there's only so many names. Leah, Leia, Alia. Like, come on. I, look, I love Frank Herbert and I love Dune. I also, and I, I don't even like Star. I'd say I like Dune more than Star Wars at this point, to be completely honest. So I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, this is bullshit. My point is, at a certain point, as writers, you take influence from people. You cannot sit here and say, World of Warcraft is a is is Lord of the Rings. You can't say that uh, the Elder Scrolls is Lord of the Rings. Like, you can't, because they are different. They all have orcs and elves and dwarves and halflings and blah, 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 swords and and spice and all kinds of things that they wanted. There's magic. You can call them all kinds of different things or, or the same thing, but you're telling different stories with it, right? So, like, and I, I get it, though, because if I wrote a story and then some other douchebag came out with a less good story and people were like oh my god that's so, that's so good and my the movie based on my book wasn't doing well at all i'd be pretty pissed i would use that as an outlet to be angry at how terrible my movie was well his movie wasn't out yet exactly because it was <laughs> trading hands between the italians and some other european country can yeah remember. Sorry, other European country. I can't I, remember. I totally <laughs> jumped back and forth on that point. It's a good point. I mean, I'm open to that. Uh, Her <laughs> Herbert did find a lot of solidarity in other sci-fi writers who also felt that aspects of their books had been heavily borrowed by George mm. Lucas. So mm -hmm. he was not alone in his resentment. Gotcha. Uh, the next year, he and Beverly moved to Maui and started building a house. I think... He, this was another one of those things where he really wanted to do something for her. And um, she, I mean, they basically had a very nice and relaxing time in Maui. It was kind of like a better version of those trips that they had taken to Mexico in oh, the nice. old days. Yeah. It was more relaxing. Um, so they kind of ping-ponged between there and um, Port Townsend for basically the rest of their lives. Um, the summer of 1981, he got, and I'm pissed that... Brian did not include the number, the dollar amount on this. He just said that his dad got the biggest science fiction book contract in history for the fifth Dune book, Heretics of Dune. Um, apparently, it was big enough that it made tax sense for him to split up the payment over many, many years. So I'm assuming it was a lot of money. Uh, Beverly couldn't believe it. So, How much money they made? Yeah. 
for the first time in their life, like they had a lot of money coming in. Uh, their spending also kept up with that. So they were still like always stressed about paying the bills because they just started spending more and more as one does when you get a lot of money coming in. Mm. Were you able to find how much it was? I'm looking it up. Uh, most everybody just wants to nerd out about the, the book itself. No, tell me about the money, people. Um, and, you know, with a giant book deal comes the request for another book. So soon uh, his agent was in London negotiating for the book rights for a sixth Dune book, which hadn't even been titled yet. And Herbert was optimistically expecting twice as much for it as he had gotten for Heretics. So he's kind of a big deal now. Okay. I'm still looking it up. I'm trying to find. I just. Like how much did he make off of Dune? Yeah. Is like I'm going out to that. I'm hoping like they'll be like, Oh, for Dune he only made blah blah blah. Well the but advance for, for his first one was seventy five hundred dollars. Uh-huh. So you know, heretics could be like fifty thousand dollars and it would still be a lot more, or it could be like a hundred thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No uh, doubt. We're never gonna find out how much he got for it. I'm if you going guys know, to find out. Tyler is committed. Um, amid all that good news, though, uh, Bev started having heart and lung problems again that year. No, and spent, Bev. I know, Bev. And she ended up spending a long time in the hospital. And this put another kind of um, delay in Frank's writing process because he would go to the hospital to see her every single day. Um, he was at her bedside the whole time, basically. Um, on the upside, this is a roller coaster of a year for him. The Dune movie was finally underway. David Lynch had created a screenplay. Herbert liked it. That was all going well. He was also working on a book called The White Plague, which involved extensive DNA research. And this one is like a global pandemic thing that only affects women. So I think that one would be a really interesting one to read, especially given um, the times we're in or not. Save it for a time <laughs> when we're not dealing with a global pandemic. Um, he wrote furiously on this and as per usual made it way too long so the next year he had to do a major rewrite so that somebody would publish the damn thing see so i'm i'm looking up how much he made off of dune and somebody else in the comments on one of the articles was like yeah dune was great i've read it several times except for it's basically just lawrence of arabia in space so uh sounds like frank herbert stole some stuff too just saying i've never read lawrence of maybe arabia. we'll have to read t.e lawrence's uh lawrence of arabia at some point uh 83 production of the movie was underway and it was on track to come out the next year um so herbert's son brian who wrote this book his wife jan spent a lot of time with beverly while frank was traveling for work and going to the movie set stuff like that beverly was feeling really sad because she couldn't go with him like she used to mm. um but she did end up getting strong enough to go with him on one trip to the set in mexico um so well, that's that, good that was a good trip for her uh eventually though things would not work out for frank and beverly what? She died on February 7th, 1984, at the age of 57. Oh. So, yeah, it's really been a, a hard decade. For, he's had, like, the most success of his entire life so far. While his wife's health declined. Yes. The whole And time. she was, like, his best friend, number one cheerleader, read she, yeah, everything he wrote. Him. Yeah, and I know last episode you were, you were weirdly. I was Team Bev. 
yeah, you were super team Bev and how much work she put into taking care of him and well, and even, being there for him as he wrote, and she didn't get to be a writer. And in all of her hospital stays and stuff, this was one of the things that um, Brian in the biography noted was that like she was so worried about who was going to take care of Frank. Yeah. She was worried about all the bills that they had to pay. She was like, he doesn't keep up with them when I'm in the hospital like every time I go back the bills are a mess and I have to figure out who to pay and mm. all that stuff she's like he's not gonna make it on his own yeah so that poor poor dear yeah that's uh, that's that's a lot of weight and it's sad it really is sad like I, I couldn't imagine I I couldn't imagine having the success uh, of writing a story and and making record setting sales and and contracts um while rebecca my wife was is dying yeah it's like the happiest moments of your life and i couldn't i couldn't do it i couldn't justify my happiness at all like i i maybe it's just a a flaw of mine but like it's like you're i'd be so angry i'd i'd be angry at god specifically uh like like dude why are you doing this like this is bullshit. Like, why would you? And, and I, I'm speaking. I'm speaking from a place of like trying to put myself in Frank's shoes. How is it that we can we can be given something so great and, and achieve our dreams and and exceed our dreams, and at the same time revel in in how horrible our life is and and it seems like he tried to do a good job of like of like taking care of her and making her happy like taking her to maui and bring her bringing her to the set when he could and and things and it's just it i i can't imagine how sad i would be every moment of every day if i was going through this exact same thing there would be almost no joy in my life is they're handing me buckets of money and i'm like it's pointless this is pointless i don't want your money i'm not gonna i'm not gonna write for money like it it's it's so i don't know it would be so bad for me i don't know what i would do no i wouldn't want to be in that situation either like if i had to choose between success or the person you love most dying i'd be like you know what I don't need that. But you don't even get book a choice. Deal. You don't get point. a choice. Like you, you're just. It's what you've been trying to do, and and you are a successful writer, and you are making money off of it, and your wife is sick, like, or your significant other is sick. You don't get to choose one or the other. That's not the point. The point is, you don't get to be happy, and it. I and I think that there's a lot of people out there that would be like, well, you have to learn to be happy. You have to choose to be happy and, and work through that i just it's i don't know it, it would be so difficult for me to find that happiness right well as men one of her many many dying wishes i think she had like nine of them oh, uh beverly that's some that's some straight baller she, shit though she like, left you know a what? lot on her family's plate <laughs> here's my list that's cool I do one like of the that. things she was watching out better. for was frank's happiness and she said that she wanted him to remarry because she knew and you alluded to this in the last episode or something that he wouldn't be happy alone right yeah i i, I think i know that i read somewhere that she said that he said he would never marry again she's like no you'll be married within a year yeah it was and she included it in her her wishes for her family uh and needless <clears throat> to say uh just a couple months after her death 
He was on tour for Heretics and mm-hmm. met a young representative for a publishing company who yep. he was quite smitten with. And you know what? I take a little bit of issue with this. Is this what you were foreshadowing to earlier? Okay. Yeah. I think, you know, a couple months, way too <clears> soon, <throat> I would be devastated. Sure. I mean, I'm sure he was obviously devastated too, but I don't... Was he obviously devastated? There's you didn't put that in the notes anywhere. He was he didn't write the words he was devastated anywhere. You wrote she died and then a couple <laughs> months after her death he was he's shacking up with Teresa Shekelbert first. <laughs> An appropriate name. You did not write at between that anywhere he had a hard time or it sad. Is, you didn't even write an emoji for sadness. It is not up to me to judge how people process their grief, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> he did not grieve long enough. And his family felt the same way. Brian and Jan, uh, his son and daughter-in-law, were pissed when he oh, yeah. started going after this new chick. And... She was 28, and he was nearly 64. Yeah. So, I'm sorry. How old is Brian at this point? That's what I want to know. Oh. That would be weird. Probably only in his 20s or 30s. <clears throat> like, maybe late 20s. I think he had, like, an 11-year-old, so maybe early 30s. Yeah. That would be weird. And age is but a number and all of that, but come on. How often do we see this happen where you've got the rich old dude yeah. and the young hot chick. Yeah. Like, it cannot always be a deep love connection I am calling bullshit. Especially after a couple of months. After a couple of months. Especially after a couple of months of mourning. Like, of yes. grieving. <laughs> Sorry, mourning is, you could, there's other words. No, I, I know. <laughs> of grieving. Yeah, I, 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 would, I would also call bullshit, but everyone who's listened to the first episode heard how fiery I got about his really every single relationship yes. he's had. I mean, he married Bev after like two months of knowing her. Yeah, so. and his first wife was after a couple of months too. Like, th- this is how Herbert moves. This is his modus operandi. But I would just expect that after the love of a lifetime with Bev, his heart and soul, his match, the woman who supported him and who he supported at the end, Maybe could have given it more than a couple months. Sure. But I, I think that you're coming at it from a very specific, like... I'm coming you, at it from a me you, perspective. You are coming at it from how you view relationships. This might not be how, how Frank views relationships. And, and you can see that he has a lot of thoughts on relationships in his books, in Dune specifically. Like, the main character, um, you know, throughout, he inherits a wife... Uh, and then kind of denies her. He falls in love with a woman, uh, but then at the end of it, uh, proposes to another woman, saying to the woman he loves and has his children, like she's had his children, and he's like, "Hey, babe, just but just chill though. Like I'm just doing this so that we can like, you know, have a better place." And I think that his view on relationships is not the same as most people. And I think that he, unfortunately, like, I think that he respects women. I think that he sees value in women. But I think that it's different than how I see value in women, if you get what I'm saying. You mean uh, him wanting to hang out and drive fast cars with Teresa uh, maybe is a little different than how you would... uh... Yes. You would make your love life decisions. Also, it's just the funniest fucking image in my head of like old Frank Herbert with a cigarette, like, let's drive some fast cars, babe. Down uh, the 101. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
I mean that all that being said, he is one of our least uh gross, horrible at relationship least, at authors. least he <laughs> waited for the relationship to be over though. Yes. Is all I'm gonna say. <laughs> One point for, for at Herbert. least he didn't make his wife feel bad for discovering that he was cheating on her. Mm. How dare you find out that I was having an affair, <laughs> Ernest motherfucking Hemingway? Ugh. All Rest right, moving peace. on. So uh, he subsequently spent a lot of time down in California with Teresa. She was based out of Los Angeles. Uh, also, put him close to Hollywood. Uh, and so finally the original cut of Dune came out and he got to like screen it. It was almost five hours long. Oh, what? You ever watch a five hour movie in the theaters? No, no one has. Nobody has. And nobody will, at least in the case of Dune. So the producers ordered it cut down to just over two hours. Who? No, they didn't order it to be cut down. Everybody decided, hey. Maybe we should cut this down. Obviously, the director thought it was a good length the oh first time God. he put it together, and Frank did too. I mean, at no, that this point, is great. I love spending a lot half of, my day watching this. This is great. They're keeping a lot of the source material in there. Hi, everybody. We're going to get up early tomorrow <laughs> so we can watch the Dune movie in its entirety. So uh, make sure you get plenty of rest tonight because you won't tomorrow. <laughs> I don't know who that is. But. I don't. I mean, yes, nobody's going to watch a two-hour movie. But a lot of the negative feedback that came once the movie was released related to, you know, the super fans being mad that it left out that one scene that yeah. they think is the most important scene in all of the the trilogy that was the one book. Right. Uh, which I get that. I get pissed off like that about Harry Potter all the time. Um, I want to watch the original five-hour extended cut. I know. I Nowadays, you'd get that, right? Like, well, nowadays, well, okay. <laughs> I shouldn't say nowadays, like, we don't have another Dune movie coming out. <laughs> we have another one coming I out. I don't think the new Dune movie is going to be five hours. It's probably going to be, like, three hours long. It's going to be a long movie, and maybe they'll have more and deleted honest, scenes. And honest to God, I've, like, I've been watching, like, the cast for it and stuff, and there's, like, the big, there's this big uh, mystery as far as, from what I've researched up to this point, if if the information has already come out and you know about it, I apologize. I haven't, like, today looked into it. And if it comes out after this recording, obviously I can't help that I don't know future events. I'm not Paul Atreus, so I can't see the future. Anyway, there's characters missing from the cast list, mm. which to me tells me that they might be cutting it in half or oh something. like there might be a part two or something yeah for realsies y'all should have listened to our podcast in which we discussed how there wasn't a natural split point for there the- is <laughs> though there is a natural split i don't understand why they'd say that because there's a a very natural split in the story where like straight up it's like oh shit we're in part two i didn't realize that i just it just happens we'll have to i can you say where the natural split that you feel exists is? Yeah, it's 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 basically when they join. I'm not even gonna say who it is. It's when they join the 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 sand people, the um, whatever they're called. Oh, Dune fans are killing me right now. <laughs> they're called this, you son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> gosh, dang it, Fremen. When they join the Fremen, mm. um, like that. 
it jumps like years. Do you think we have different standards for what constitutes a split now? Because yeah. like, do you see the novel resolving like thematically before yeah. that split point? He becomes the he becomes a part of their people. Like that is a good end to a book in a series, and be like, oh shit, he just joined him. Oh damn, this is sick. Like that it's a good it's a good spot. And of course you can play it up a little bit more if you're writing it to be that split. Obviously how it's written now may not be exactly the most perfect thing, but he could have written it to be a good end to that book and then Dune 2, which continues the story of Paul being, you know, in the group of people and what they're doing and what he's doing and all the plans, like I, I felt like there was a good split. Okay, we need to resurrect Alert and Blazingame and all the other publishers and agents and call them to task for Here's this. Here's what Be needs like, to happen. Where was Someone the problem? Someone needs to hire me and pay me lots of money to talk about things. That's that, it? That's it. Whatever you want me to talk about. I don't care what you want me to talk about. I'll talk about it. Just pay me lots of money. I'm like living the dream. That would be my dream. <laughs> yes. Uh, so tw- 2021 Dune aside, the original movie premiered in December of 1984 in Washington, D.C., uh, and both President Reagan and Mrs. Reagan were among the audience of more than a thousand people. Uh, the theater was decorated to look like the Palace of Arakeen. Arak- How do you say it? You got this. Arakeen. Well, it's like the planet is Arakeen. Arachnus. Arach- oh, you well, this are is spelled in my head K-E-E-N. Why, I was trying to call it Arachnid. That would be scary. Planet full of spiders. So they decorated the whole theater to look like that. Uh, there was a Arakeen. state dinner at the White House afterward, and the Reagans told Herbert that they liked the movie. Nice. So, you know, fun time. Uh, he I did- feel like that story lost its... Uh, its- Vigor well, with us trying to figure out the name of it. Cut out everything until I said it right. All right. Gotcha. <laughs> we'll do that. <laughs> We're not going to do that. <laughs> um, but the screening that I think mattered most to Frank was the charity one that he had at Group Health in Seattle. That was another one of um, Bev's dying requests. She really wanted to give back to the hospital and the nurses and staff that took so such good care of her mm. during her years of illness. Um and Brian even described like seeing his dad's face after watching it there. He was just like a wall, like just totally blank, staring, staring at the screen, like having a moment. Yeah. Um. So you know, Could even you though imagine seeing a movie based on your book, though that would be wild. But at the same time, he's remembering his is, dead wife. I don't even care how bad it is, though. Like, if someone makes a movie off of your book, even if it's bad, like. There's going to be a part of you that's like, this is so fucking cool. Even Aragon. I'm giving it to Aragon. I'm sure that Chris watched Aragon (laughs) and he's all like, huh? This is great, (laughs) right? And everyone's like, Chris, no. He's like, I wrote this. (laughs) Avril Lavigne is singing a song in my movie. (laughs) Man, that's something we need to do. If we're going to do another movie react video, which apparently nobody wants us to do, because watching movies on YouTube means shutting the fuck up and don't (laughs) don't Don't talk talk through it during the reaction video. Dude, let's do it. We'll do Aragon. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, it 
didn't do super well in the United States. Uh, it did do much better in Europe and Asia for some reason, breaking box office records there. So well, it was originally bought by a European company. Apparently, yeah. they have something with this. They book really that they liked love. it over there. Uh, yeah. Uh, but book sales did skyrocket again after the movie. Yeah, uh, putting sense. Dune back at the top of the bestseller list. I'm sure they're skyrocketing right now too. Almost certainly, but I think that was probably notable because I don't think Dune ever hit the bestseller list when it came out. I don't think the second one did. The third one, I think, did. Probably, yeah. Yeah. So he, uh, his original book finally got the recognition it deserved. You hear? Did you did you hear what the hottest uh, gift? for this year 2020 is for christmas is it the dune edition that you have behind you uh that's pretty much one of the greatest you could possibly have but no i mean like for other non-cool people what like the hottest selling thing right now is no idea chess sets what the hell is going on the that show on netflix the queen's gambit came out you're kidding me everyone's obsessed i'm not gonna lie even i i watched it and even i was like I might need to get back into chess, though. Okay. I need to watch it then before the next time I see my grandpa, because my grandpa always wants to play chess. Dude, yeah. Now I'm going to get inspired. Yeah. They make it look a lot easier than it is, so don't be fooled. Chess is fucking hard, and I hate it. Oh, the only times I win against my grandpa are when either he lets me or I just get lucky. Like, I I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't think I've ever won a chess game in my entire life. Yeah, I played with my mom, I played with Frankie, and I've played with other people in passing, and I think I've lost every single one I've ever played. I am not a chess player. That's a bad track record. Okay, yeah. well, I know what I'm not getting you for Christmas then. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, I think that same, or the next year, 1985, is when he married Teresa Shackelford, so about one year after Beverly died. Ah, uh, yeah, great. Yeah. So he he was turning to her during the showing at his wife's uh, charity charity thing. It was like, hey, Bev, what do you think of my dead wife's viewing of my uh, movie? If you're still alive, Teresa, and you probably are because you were only 28 back then. uh, I'm really sorry for all the shit talking. You're probably a great person. We have nothing against (laughs) Teresa. You're great. I I have questions. I mean, unless something else comes up, like at worst, you're a gold digger, but- (laughs) To be honest, that's just survival. Yeah, like, I'd be pissed if I were you Brian can't or the kids. You can be mad at someone for for doing that. Honestly, can you? I'd really? be mad if I were the kids. I'd be like, that was supposed like, to be my million dollars. Okay, that's different. If if that's if it's someone who sweeps in, steals all the money, and and books it, that's different. But if this is a woman who's like, hey, I'll be your companion for the rest of your life as long as you take care of me. I have nothing against that. That's basically what Becca has done. She's just really she's doing it out of hope. Because <laughs> you're not rich. Because I'm not rich <laughs> yet. <laughs> well, may uh, Becca get to be a gold digger someday. <laughs> she tells me all the time that she only married me for my money, which then tells me how much she really loves me. Oh. Um. Also, at this time, uh, Frank spent a lot of time co-writing a book with his son Brian. Uh, called Man of Two Worlds. This was another one of Bev's dying wishes, was that he help his kids with their endeavors. Yeah. And Brian wanted to be a writer. And, I mean, we had talked in the first episode about how he wasn't a great dad. Yeah. Like, he was really hard to live with, especially when he was writing. He would lock the kids out of the house after school and mm. be like, go anywhere else. 
you can't be here. here. Yeah. Uh, so it took a long time for his relationship with Brian to be repaired. And as an adult, they became more like friends was how Brian put it than father and son. Mm. Like they would get together as couples and and hang out and and. Well, um, since his wife is basically the same age as his right? son, most no, likely, sure. This was even when Bev was still alive. Oh, okay. Like they had a a friendship when Brian was an adult, so kind of repaired it there. And Frank was able to encourage him a lot with his writing, which was nice. So wait, so Brian also has written books? Yes. Other, obviously, other than yeah. the tome that you have over there about his dad. Yes. Yeah, so he has written novels, um, and I think. You know, I'm not going to speculate about what his early writing was. He mentioned it in here, but I was more focused on Frank. But yes, he had written other stuff even before they co-wrote a book together. Mm. Um, so yeah, so they got to do that. Checked off another one of Bev's final wishes. Uh, in late summer 1985, he and Teresa took a month-long trip to Australia, Hawaii, and Hong Kong. Uh, he wasn't feeling well when he came back and went to the hospital for tests. He went through tons of possible diagnoses. Um, the doctors had no idea what was going on with him until late November of that year when doctors said they saw s- several small spots of cancer in his liver, but they still couldn't pinpoint like the primary source of the cancer. Uh, he did find out, though, about an experimental treatment at Wisconsin Medical Center uh, and went there in December. He came back and forth a few times because it was like he'd do treatment for a while and then take a break um but he was there when he died of a pulmonary embolism which was like something in his lungs while recovering yeah, from what surgery is pulmonary embolism it's like this. i know this is uh like an artery blockage in your lungs and oh. um it's like caused by blood clots basically hmm. so it was kind of a shock to his family he had gone in yeah. for surgery he said he was feeling great boom dead on february 11 1986 in madison wisconsin at 65 years old that's it. Poor Thus Frank. Do never continued. Do not so. So. <laughs> <laughs> so years later, uh, Brian, it's Brian, that son who have, we have mentioned many times, was playing with the idea of writing a seventh Dune book uh, as a collaboration with a science fiction writer named Kevin J. Anderson. Around the same time, an attorney contacted him saying his father had left behind a couple of safety deposit boxes in some random bank in Bellevue, Washington, that they hadn't found prior to this moment. And they contained tons of notes on Dune 7, which was to be the grand finale of oh, the series. Okay. So he did actually get his father a lot of his father's source material. I don't think any of it was written out in like manuscript form, right. but he said there were just tons, a massive amount of notes. Really? Yeah. And what's the name of that seventh book? This, oh, that one's not. Oh. Sandworms is six. I'm pretty sure they cut that up into like three books, didn't they? Because there was so much material. Or am I thinking of Wheel of Time? I'm thinking of Wheel of Time. So uh, uh, Brandon Sanderson inherited Wheel of Time. Um, Hunters of Dune yeah. was what Dune 7 was titled when it came out. And then Sandworms. So did he write that with Anderson too? Uh, yeah, it was both of them. And they, yeah, they. It looks like they went went for it, um, and tried to. I don't know. I I don't know the the story behind the rest of that series enough, but you know, hey, here's the seventh book, everybody. We wrote it, and everyone's like, oh, thank you. This is what we've wanted, and you're like, I could. 
write another one. <laughs> Everyone's like, no. And you're like, but I already did, though, is the thing. So, <laughs> But I already want the money. I'm going to go ahead and put it out there. And then I think everybody was like, no, we're good. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> This has been a very compelling argument for not reading uh, Dune 8. I don't know. I don't know if it's good or not. I, I would be I would actually be interested to see. I mean, I'm not a obviously for someone who loves Dune so much. I'm not like a Dune like uh, like I don't acolyte or whatever. Like I was, don't I was defending of- Star Wars against the, the Dune franchise. But like. But and so I, I guess I could come at it from the point of view of like, hey man, if if Brian has a good story to tell, I mean, fuck man, uh, the Atreus family line is all about like, hey, I handed this off to you, son, do something with it, huh? And you know, so Fair. it's just it's part of the story. If uh the later non-Frank Herbert Dune books are your favorites. Please write us telling us why. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, we are here after our author has died. Tyler, do you have any closing thoughts on why Dune made you feel so shitty about yourself? Do I have any closing thoughts? I mean, this can be your therapy session. Just let it all out there. Atreides by the way. I keep saying the last name Atreides, and I knew I was missing a whole letter. Atreides. So, again, Dune fans, I'm so sorry. I know that it's very important to get these names and words that are not in English correct. But y'all just have to understand that Tyler and I, we do not specialize in pronouncing names correctly. I get names wrong all the damn time, and it's names like Chuck Smythe. I mean Smith. (laughs) Yeah. Accurate. Um, all right. I don't know, man. Here's so I listened to the audiobook, which already was was good. Like they did a good job at producing it. And and I all right. And I I was like, okay, this is good. Um, but I've listened to good audiobooks before. I think there was a moment where he is explaining the world of Dune to you, the audience, through the characters. And he's done it through like four different characters. And they're all talking to Paul, the main character. And they're all explaining what Dune is. But at zero points during this book do you feel like there's exposition. It is it is a part of the story. The process of explaining this is a part of the story. Um, There's small things where you can catch it a little bit, but the character building is fantastic. Um, the characters are three-dimensional, most of them at least. Um, and, I mean, like... Um, there's there's the doctor character in it uh who he it's such a sad story like to to watch him and his character and what he goes through um 
just in the beginning just in the first part of this of the book it's so sad and and it struck me really hard that this was the character that i was most interested in in reading about paul was just there mm-hmm. you know and the conversations that they that he would have with paul's mother and with paul himself and and everything i i was just i was struck by how real these people were um to create a mythos out of a man um was was crazy and he did it with several of them where you had like duncan idaho and um and they're you know like he's always just kind of on on the outskirts of the story and it's just like they're always talking about him and and you want to know more about him you want to be able to see him in action and you do a little bit but it's never enough. It's always like, oh, man, I wish I could have some more Duncan Idaho, like, as a badass. And uh, and so the, just his writing is just so good, and the way that he approaches it is so good. And that's, I think that's where I, I came to a conclusion that my writing is not that good. Not that good. Um, I, I realize that there is the ability to have complex political struggles without always having to have game of thrones style political intrigue you know like they go back and forth in dune that just it's quick and it happens and and you understand it and it's 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 almost never boring Mm -hmm. this is coming from a guy who has add and doesn't like political intrigue i can't stand it it's boring to me but the way it's done in dune it's it because it's a part of this fantasy world that's happening in space it's interesting to me so i have a question about that one of the things that when it was you know a new book ish um that herbert was disappointed in was that he wanted the main theme that people took away from it to be the political struggle. Um, and at the time, everyone was focused on the environmental themes. Sure. And that was something where when he was cutting the book down, he even like shaved off a lot of the envir- environmentalism yeah. in the book because he wanted the main focus to be the political themes. Yeah. Did you take that away from it or did you think environmentalism was a stronger theme? Uh, I actually I mean, I, I saw the environmentalism in it, um, but I took away more of the political stuff, the political religious stuff of yeah the religious creating, stuff was a big one. creating a hero and using um politics and religion to create a hero that can lead and to sustain a people uh you see it with uh leto the first um the father of paul um and when he shows up he does he goes out of his way to show the people of dune i'm a good person um and he he helps them in every way he can and they're coming from being uh lorded over by one of the worst people in the universe in the galaxy and and so they're used to terrible terrible tyrants and he shows them no there's there's us the atreides are honorable and good people um and so they basically and but in that he talks about like the propaganda that he uses to do that. He talks about like the uh, re-education of people. Like the, there's entire books that Isaac Asimov or Arthur C. Clarke. You know what? I'm not not even those. There are authors that I don't know the names of, but I I know the stories of 
uh, like a scanner darkly in 1984. Um, obviously I know who wrote 1984. <laughs> we did an episode on him, but like, that's the sort of stuff that those guys wrote entire books around that. Right. But, um, but he just touches on it. He's just like, yeah, it's just what you do. It's just a part of the process of creating a leader and creating a system in place to rule an entire planet of people. And that's something that I had to re-remind myself of while I was listening to this book of like, this is a planet. This is not a country. This is a whole. Could you imagine on Earth if there was one guy in charge of all of Earth? What would they have to do in order to quell the riots and the the wars that would be sparked from the idea that one person rules planet earth it's it you you'd have to make them a god and that's what they do and that's what paul learns from his father and what his mother from the process of her background already is instilled with and so it goes into him and um and so you see his process of going this is how this is what religion is this is what politics is this is what sociology is this is what everything that humankind can create that's what this is is it's a way to lead people in one way or another he doesn't necessarily say it's bad he just says that's just what it is religion is pointless except for it's a way to control and lead people the only thing that he says is not under the control of of the the process of you know leading people and such is to tame the land and change the worlds um but even then there are people that have hopes of doing that um and that's a big theme and so i think that it to me i read it and i think okay what he's talking about is taking that next step we've created and perfected religion we have politics the next step is to to take our world and do something with it um and um i don't know i just that's it's this is long-winded and it's a lot less funny and passionate than i usually go but this book affected me in a way that most books do not um and and it has changed my life it has changed my writing and the way that I want to approach my writing. Um, and I believe that it's probably the best sci-fi book there is. Um, you can disagree with me. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day because we're all going to die and your point, your opinion is useless. <laughs> but um, the point is it affected me. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, I, I've always been afraid of reading this book and I'm, I'm really glad that I did because it, it is such a good story um, with a setup to a great series that I'm interested in reading the rest of the series. I don't know that I will like, I don't think I'm just going to gobble up the entire thing, but maybe, you know, throughout my life, I'll try and continue to read the story of Dune. Nice. Yeah. I guess, it, like it's, I said, it's not as it's not as impassioned and powerful and funny as I usually go. <laughs> well, there's nothing funny about a desolate planet infested by sandworms. Yeah, there is. <laughs> is there? Yeah, giant cats that take shits in the sand. 
Ah, that would be hilarious. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> the June spinoff that we didn't know we needed. Yeah, it's just the the, the sandbox, cat, the cat litter planet. Uh, well, do we do we have a teaser for our next episode? Yeah, we're getting yeah. into the Christmas spirit. Yeah, we are. The, we're gonna uh, do it. The ghosts of Christmas past spirit. <laughs> yeah, we. Oh, nice. Well done. I tried. We're we're gonna we're gonna jump into a Christmas Carol. Which yes. we didn't do last well, year. Well, we're going to do Dickens first. Right. Which well, I yeah. think will be good because other than A Christmas Carol, I don't think I've read any Dickens. I haven't either. So we're we're going we're going full Dickens. Full Dickens. We're just going to let that we're going to no, let that No, please no. We're just going to whip that Dickens right oh out. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so that was actually better than my teaser. I appreciated that joke. So what we're going to do is it's it's covered up and we're just going to unzip that Oh. And just open. No, all right. We are going to work so I'm, many penis puns into yeah. our show. No. <laughs> but not. yeah, so that's what we're doing in it's December. It's getting a little too hard, to be honest. I hate you so much. I feel like I'm just, I'm just fucking this thing. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah, so we're getting into Christmas spirit. Uh, and, and then a fun little special thing after the first part of Dickens, we'll get into... Christmas Carol more specifically and and some other fun little Christmas things uh just a fair warning at this point we should we should let our our listeners know after we release our second uh Christmas episode we will be taking a a break from recording for just a little bit um it's nothing crazy we're just we we read so much and we do Hannah does so much uh, research and things. Uh, the summer hit us really hard. This year has hit us really hard. Um, I think as a as a a planet, we are all gonna need to take a collective just a breather in the new year. And I think we're gonna join in with that and and just kind of take a breather. Um, and it's gonna help us realign so that we can come at it even harder for season 25 <laughs> whatever season we're in we don't have season no this will be our first season break um and you know january might be a good time if you're a more recent listener yeah. uh, to catch up on some of our old episodes we've oh, got yeah. a ton out there so absolutely yeah um go check them out and then uh and then yeah and then we'll come back and we'll have some more fun so you guys don't have to worry nothing crazy nothing bad is happening we're just just need a just need a quick breath. I just need time to read all of these books. <laughs> God <laughs> yeah, damn it. So many books. Yeah, man. So uh In all right, the meantime, so, yeah. where can they find us, Tyler? You can find you know what? I don't even have the, the you outro. Don't even, I don't so, even have the outro up. I'm still gonna do it. They can find us on uh we have a website where they can go, uh Lewisandlovecraft.com. Uh you can see old pictures of us and um I don't know, there's other links and things to our show and stuff like that. Um, you can um, go to Facebook slash Lewis and Lovecraft and see a Facebook page that we update some semi-regularly. Um, you can comment on our stuff there. We, we do see that. We do enjoy that. Instagram is where we are mostly at. It's where we post just about every day of the week. Uh, and that's at Lewis and Lovecraft on Instagram.com. Or Instagram the app, I guess is what. Instagram the app. You can also email us at lewisandlovecraft at gmail.com. Um, See, you did perfect. You've read yeah, this so many times. I've read it so many times. 
That's why we need a break. <laughs> right. So we forget <laughs> our handles. Yeah. Um, as always, we want to thank Jake Basson for our awesome intro music. If you like what you hear or want to hear some of his other work, you can find him at soundcloud.com slash Jake Basson. That's B as in boy, A-S-S-E-N. Yeah. Don't forget to subscribe if you are a new listener. Make sure you, you hit that little subscribe button and uh, like Hannah said, go check out our backlog. We actually got a lot of episodes. We do. Like it's, it's weird to think about this show having a lot because for the longest time we had nothing. <laughs> but we have a backlog now. Like we could probably start re-releasing some episodes at some point or revisiting some stuff. Actually, a great idea that someone sent to me is we should do an episode where we talk about how like our opinions changed on somebody after we read about them or something if, oh, that's if a good something idea. big like that happened and i said well mr james was probably the most like he got the most heat and flack from us but <laughs> he was th- just we unlikable didn't have, we didn't on know every what front. to expect but yeah <laughs> yeah that's a good idea thank yeah. you listener it's it's devani thank you <laughs> she uh we're gonna have her on for a um correspondence next oh, yeah. month so cool. make sure you check that out she is super cool nice um and if you listen to us on itunes please rate and review us there it helps a lot uh we haven't gotten at least to my knowledge any new reviews lately so if you all want to do that it helps other people decide to give us a listen <sighs> leave a review is that the voice that's that's your conscience <laughs> leave, a review. leave a review what's the best way hannah What's the best way people can help us out? To leave a review with your mouth at a friend. That sounded so bad. It'll what go perfectly. What you just said <laughs> sounded so... Leave a review with your mouth at a friend. At All a right. Friend. At a friend. Scream your review to another human. Tell your friend. Tell one friend. Here's a, here's a perfect... If you are like, hey, I have no money, but I want to give a gift to my friends here's what you do you go to like your closet and you find a piece of paper and you write the words between lewis and lovecraft podcast on it and then you give it to your friend and you're like you're welcome merry christmas you son of a bitch i'm really scared to see what tyler gets me for christmas now (laughs) you're like tyler that's great but i already listened to our show i already know but look I wrote it. I wrote it down. No (laughs) gift receipts, people. Yeah. So, and with that, we shall say, uh, I don't, do you have something? Do you have a thing to say for for Charles Dickens? Oh my gosh. Go forth, man, and be merry. I don't know. I I don't think that's what he says. That sounds like. We're going to find out. Yeah. That's from the Muppets Christmas Carol. The greatest <laughs> rendition of a Christmas Carol. Okay, well then I You've will accept that. You've seen that one, right? No. I mean, I'm sure I've seen like Hannah! a real version of a Christmas Carol. No, the the Muppets Christmas not, Carol. It is. I did the not greatest. like Muppets as a child. You I don't did have not to. like them it as an matter. adult. The Muppets Christmas Carol is the greatest by far. Disagree. <laughs>